the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two, we say good morning to Anne Lacasse Dowson, a Montreal based radio commentator and pundit. Uh, Bob Reed is here. He is the guy who created Touchdowns and Fumbles Friday on the Jerry Agar Show, also principal at BroadwayStrategy.com. And Lindsay Broadhead is here, strategic communications and public affairs advisor. And actually, Bob, you signaled that you had some thoughts on somebody who was just on, so I always yield to recency. Uh, Paul Calandra is the minister responsible for long-term care. I might add it's one of four portfolios that he holds, but uh, what were your thoughts about his appearance? Well, I was interested to hear what he had to say and particularly how he would uh, potentially, and he did, rephrase his reaction to the federal government's announcement of standards that they want to see brought to bear in long-term care homes in all provinces. Initially, his reaction was, uh, our provincial standards that we're bringing in exceed those, and we have no intention of watering ours down. And as soon as I saw that quote, I went, oh, why would you go there? Why would you Why would you be so incendiary yeah. with a response like that? And sure enough, in the interview he just did with you, it was essentially, where, from where I sit, a do-over. He, he walked that back. He was warm and embracing of federal standards, and then made the point that he should have in the first place that, yes, actually, our standards that our government is bringing in meet or exceed everything the feds are asking for and we welcome that so it's uh it's a fumble recovery i would say john all right interesting i guess that's why his people called us up during the show and said the minister will join uh, join you this morning okay so um i don't know if anybody else has thoughts on on the original story which was ottawa establishing new long-term care practices i mean and like i say dowson as has been amply pointed out it's it's not, it's not none of Ottawa's business, but, you know, it's not your responsibility. No, but I mean, Canada really did badly in its long-term care facilities during the, the, the height, the early days, I guess we should say, of the pandemic. Quebec and Ontario, especially terribly. I'm thinking of the Heron residents here in the Montreal area where it was, I mean, an unbelievable humanitarian disaster. 50 people died there. They were found lying in their beds dead. I mean, this is... A huge black eye to Canada. So if the feds step in because the provinces, mostly headed by conservative premiers, don't want to deal with this stuff and are kind of leaning toward increased privatization, not just leaning, but moving towards privatization, it is a good idea for the feds to step in. And I, I mean, I know people in the healthcare sector who are saying the feds should just impose standards across the country because of what just happened on many levels post-pandemic. Now, obviously, that poses all kinds of jurisdictional problems, but they're increasing their funding. They put a lot of money into healthcare, and you know, look what's happening. What happened, and what continues to be happening. Uh, Lindsay Broadhead and, and makes some very compelling points. They may be off their turf, but maybe it's required in some jurisdictions. Yeah, no, I'm on team Anne here. I mean, the COVID, <laughs> COVID happened, and obviously this was a population that was, uh, you know, we learned quickly, especially susceptible. But COVID almost is a red herring uh, in this whole thing. It, it merely was a tool that revealed what was going on behind the doors anyway and how vulnerable and weak it was. Trudeau's government has been critiqued for not stepping in. As Anne said, the provincial leads have been reluctant. So this is actually a great political opportunity, I think, for the feds to hop in. We also learned that the standards uh, across Canada, you know, are, are not 
equal, or at least they're, they know, they're not manifest in these buildings and, and practices in an equal way. Uh, plus, we have the conflict between um, private and, and public care in this regard. So it, it demands anything new that is built with our raising uh, elderly population, that it it's built to those standards. So I think this is actually something that should be touted more um, uh, and enforced more wherever we, we can afford to. Not a lot of sympathy whenever I talk about prisoners, but I happen to be a big believer in showing humanity and a certain duty of care if somebody is locked up by the state. A new report comes out, and I'll start with you on this one. Um, This report establishes over an eight-year period, 192 people in detention in the province of Ontario died. Uh, Most of them were drug overdoses, but I think the most important thing here is to remember in a provincial facility, uh, only 25 percent of the people who are behind bars have actually been convicted of anything. So potentially there's an innocent person behind bars who gets murdered or ends up having a drug overdose. Yeah. So you, and to just remember, in addition to that, that the vast majority of people who are incarcerated are racialized people on low incomes, uh, you know, and most of the people who are incarcerated are non are in for nonviolent drug related offenses and other sort of property related nonsense. Right. Like the provincial jails are two years less a day. These are minor, relatively minor. I'm not trying to downplay, you know, scoff laws, but these are in terms of the impact. These are not serious in ter- as as serious as what we see dealt with in the federal you know, prison system. So I agree with you. I, I Apparently this report says that almost all of these deaths are preventable. Yes. We just saw here in Quebec some guy, a 19-year-old black guy, die in Bordeaux jail, which is like a jail for minor offenses, after being hooded and tased twice. Uh, and he wasn't even supposed to be in jail. He should have been released a day earlier. So there's there's some big problems And I think more scrutiny is needed because I I find this really disturbing. Like, I I agree with you. I think we need to do better with our incarcerated populations. Bob Reed? Well, it's a wake-up call for sure. There's there's something wrong if the uh, if if the in custody death rates are that high. I'm with you, John. If the if the state uh, incarcerates you, then the state has a responsibility to ensure that your, your your basic health and safety is is protected. It seems to be toxic drugs are the big problem, and that is yet another sign of something that is underpinning so many problems right across the board. When you look at homelessness, when you look at at, at, at so many challenges that we have writ large across society, again, it comes down to the drug crisis. So here's just another indicator that we need to take this more seriously. Seriously, we need to have more action, and with respect to those those in custody specifically, uh, they, they've got to redouble their efforts. There's there's a, a hell of a lot of technology that can be helpful now. There are cameras everywhere these days, it seems. So there, there clearly is more that needs to be done there. Okay, I want to jump to a few other things, and uh, here's an interesting case study in uh, rent control and housing availability. I'll start with you, Lindsay Broadhead. This is the story of a woman who has lived with her mother for the past thirty. 36 years, and the thing is her mother is officially the leaser of the apartment. She passes away at the age of 91, and the landlord comes along and says, here's your new rent, which was 50% more. She said, I don't have that money, and they said, well, I guess you're going to have to get out. Um, maybe this is an opportunity. I can't anticipate what you're going to say, Lindsay Broadhead, or anybody else on the panel, but maybe we're going to reluctantly play hard-ass that this is just the way it works. 
<laughs> I, well, no, I'm I'm reluctantly in the middle. Actually, I wish I had a more hard ass uh, point of view. Um, but the this is, I think, exactly a mini case study, as you called it, of what we're we're facing right now. The incredible pressures on the um, the uh, homeowner who has to pay the bills. Um, and the incredible pressures on people who, you know, make a certain amount of money. Um, but there isn't a um, there isn't a bridge to mediate those two points of view. And I'm highly sympathetic to both. And like I say, Dowson, I looked at this story this morning and I thought, this is so New York, you know, where some people have 60-year-old yeah. leases and then they have certain tricks they use in order to keep passing them on to other people. But w- what do you think should happen in this case? Because it's easy to be anti-landlord, but they're just, they, they, you know, respected the annual rate increase previously. Now they're just trying to catch up to the market. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I think part of the problem is that the housing crisis has escaped the attention of municipal politicians, provincial politicians, federal politicians, because in the olden days, in the nine, up until the 90s, there was a social housing policy, mostly, uh, you know, spearheaded by the feds, which was to create low cost and accessible housing in urban areas. And, and this is in Parkdale, an area that I know pretty well. My brother used to live there. Uh, this is a you know this has been historically a, a poverty stricken neighborhood. Uh, tends to vote NDP. I think it's got liberal representatives right now. You know, not not big fans of the Conservative government in Ontario. Uh, you know, like so it poses all kinds of political and jurisdictional challenges. But kicking some racialized woman out of the apartment where she's lived almost all of her life or most of her adult life doesn't seem right to me either. So I think maybe there's got to be some kind of intervention to prevent this because this is a group this woman is part of a group that's tried to stay in their building in Parkdale. Um you know it's like pun- pun- increasingly punishing the poor. Like I'm sure this woman would would like to pay the rent but can't. So then then what? What are you going to do? Throw it on the sidewalk with your furniture? I mean that's really a bad look for Toronto the good, you know, so I don't know, I think something should be done to try and protect these low income people in the urban area. And I think part of the answer is social housing. And I'm not sure in this case, what else should be done, but the city probably needs to step in. Um, this next story, I don't know if it's going to make it on touchdowns and fumbles, Bob Reed, but uh, as of today, 1st of February, the Loblaws price fees on no-name products is coming to an end. I think they were probably surprised that it wasn't welcomed with open arms last October, and now that it's coming off the table, it's another black guy. Well, therein lies the peril of tying your marketing to uh, a, a specific uh, dollar-based initiative. And you would think Loblaws would have learned this lesson the first time around with the pandemic bonus pay, that they were more than happy to champion. Look, we're, give, we're paying back our, our frontline workers. We're giving them a bonus for being essential during the pandemic and keeping everything going. And then when that got walked back, they took a hit for it. All the grocery uh, retailers did, to, to be fair. So to then champion this price freeze, rolling it out knowing that it's not going to last forever uh, took me a bit by surprise at the time. Like, didn't you learn the lesson the first time around? This thing is going to end eventually, and there will be blowback when it comes. Now, maybe they did that math and said, yeah, we did get the same thing with the wage increase, and that went away after a while. People talked about it, ranted, and then moved on. Maybe they're banking on the same thing happening here, but it just seems like uh, another unnecessary repeat of the same formula. Oh! 
<laughs> is that officially a fumble? I don't want to call it. I'm not a rep. It's not Friday morning yet, John. you got to wait for that one. <laughs> okay. I love coming. Yeah, you know, like, is running I, with the ball. <laughs> can I jump in, though, John? You know, like, sure, 30 seconds. running at about, at about 10, 11%. Loblaw's profits are up 30%. So right. I don't know, something, something wrong there in the numbers. Yeah, and their messaging, I mean, this definitely should make it untouched as it fumbles on Friday. Their message yesterday, you know, in predicting that prices were going to go up today was off, off note. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.